2: so many people put those feelings inside aside and for me i had to marry purpose fulfillment in all areas of my life in work at home everywhere i need to be an integrated whole person
3: you're listening to side hustle pro the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikaela Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. If there is one thing I'm learning as a new entrepreneur, it's that hiring is challenging. It's hard to find qualified candidates. You get too many of the wrong applications, but there is one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash hustle. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the Internet's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address: ZipRecruiter.com/hustle. That's ZipRecruiter.com/hustle. ZipRecruiter.com/hustle. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today's episode is brought to you by Gusto. So when you work for someone else, you really look forward to payday. But when you become a business owner, you really look forward to finding that great payroll provider. And that's where Gusto comes in. Small businesses across the country love running payroll using Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern. You might even fall in love with it yourself. Side Hustle Pro listeners get 3 months free when they run their first payroll. So try a demo and test it out yourself at gusto.com/shp. That's gusto.com/shp. Welcome to the guest chair, Lysandra.
2: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
3: I'm very happy to have you here, um, Jamaica's own. I'm so glad to be branching out the podcast and speaking to someone who represents Caribbean entrepreneurs. (laughs) So tell us, um, you're originally from Kingston, right? Mm -hmm. And you pursued uh, both your undergraduate and master's education in the U.S., What made you want to pursue education in America?
2: Oh, boy, Uh, that was definitely from my mother. Um, She definitely had a very... Uh, laid out plan for my life from I was young. She told me I would be going to Campion College for my high school in Jamaica. She made that happen. (laughs) Um, She told me I would be going to Harvard one day and that I'll be going to college overseas. And so she put all these dreams into me and kind of poured her own dreams for herself into me. And so that's really what gave me My drive to pursue a lot of the things that I did.
3: I love that. Got to love parents who they know (laughs) they know what you need before you know it.
2: Yes, exactly.
3: Right. Now, after undergrad, did you spend some time in the States? And if so, what was your original career path?
2: So I went to undergrad at the University of Chicago, and I wanted to go there because I wanted to be an economist and change Jamaica and the Caribbean and make us um, more grow faster and be a place that nobody wanted to leave. Because a lot of my friends all went to school overseas and many of them didn't come back. So, and it was, it's kind of sad for the people that you grew up with to get so dispersed after high school. So one of my big dreams was to make everyone want to stay in Jamaica by helping it grow and be a better, have a better economy. So I chose the University of Chicago because it had a really strong economics program. And while I was there, I wanted to do a PhD in econ, um, and get my doctorate. And so I was on that track. So I did the hardest classes there, um, honors statistics, honors econometrics, honors calculus, like I had no life (laughs) (laughs) at one point, um, which really drove a lot of the decisions I took later uh, to get more balance, to avoid burnout, et cetera. But at the time, The career that I chose when I graduated from college, I started working as a research assistant to the author of the book Freakonomics. And a lot of the work that I did actually ended up in his follow up book, Super Freakonomics. Um, So that's what I did for a little while after I graduated from college.
3: And then what brought you back to Jamaica? Oh,
2: visa! Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was an international student, and I got one year post to work in the states. I worked on Super Economics and then I came back to Jamaica, um, August of two thousand and seven. And I worked actually in a broker dealer in finance. And then I worked for the Ministry of Finance for a little bit while I was here.
3: Now, I just finished last night watching the Money Chase inside Harvard <laughs> Business School documentary. A classic, really. I Yes, you did your research. <laughs> I did wow. My research way and back. <laughs> I, and I saw you there representing and sharing your experience. How do you think? attending HBS shaped you and shaped the role you're in today?
2: Yeah, so I knew when I was back in Jamaica that I would not, if I waited too long, I would not go to business school. So at 24 years old, I applied to Harvard Business School and I got in and I got a scholarship to go from this foundation and they did a press release and CNBC kind of found Found the press release and wanted to come to Jamaica to interview me. So that's the video that you watched. (laughs) Um, And HBS Harvard Business School was it transformed my entire life, my outlook on what's possible for a human being in their life. Um, I was with colleagues or peers that like Jamie Dimon's daughter and these. Titans of industry would come in with their bodyguards and secret service and come and give talks to us. And we traveled together and we did case studies. And that whole experience really made me realize that I could have a much bigger life than I previously thought.
3: So, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur at this stage in life? And if so, how did you structure your time there? And if not, how- Looking back, would you change your approach?
2: Wow, this is such a great question. I think that HBS was the first time entrepreneurship entered my landscape at all. I wanted to be an economist, remember, and get a PhD. So when I ended up in business school, um, I was still thinking about finance, private equity, venture capital, and not necessarily entrepreneurship. But one of the things that they make you do very early in the program is, uh, intense psychometric test, um, called career leader. And in that test, it gives you like 30 pages of, um, results. And one of my top results was entrepreneur. It was actually the very top thing that my personality profile matches very, closely with that of a typical entrepreneur, which doesn't necessarily mean that I would become an entrepreneur, but that I am very entrepreneurial. And so my roles for me to be happy in any career, it has to be very entrepreneurial. Uh, And so that was my first inkling, but I didn't believe it at the time. I was really focused. I was going to be in finance. That's what I wanted to do. Um, And so, but it was always in the back of my mind that who I really was on the inside needed an entrepreneurial environment
3: that's so interesting you know we had a similar test at Ross and I had a previous guest mention that that really informed how she looked at career prospects moving forward so when you intern yeah. and then post HBS what kind of roles did you take on to marry that need that you had inside of you
2: well, I didn't act on the test soon enough, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and to your earlier question of what would I change looking back, um, I would have done more classes, more internships in that would bring out that entrepreneurial side of me earlier and while I was at HBS. And that is a regret that I have that I focus so much on finance still while I was there. Um, so my internship at HBS was with Bain and company in New York. I was in their private equity group, which is the most intense group at Bain, um, not biased or anything <laughs> but I basically worked from nine a m to three a m every day, including weekends doing due diligence for a hedge fund that was based in New York and this was the middle of the financial crisis. This was two thousand and nine, so companies were going bankrupt left and right, and our hedge fund was doing distressed debt investing, so it was a nonstop everyday no work life balance situation, um, and that burnt me out and caused a real shift in what I wanted to do with the rest of my life following that.
3: Tell me more. Tell me more about that shift. So what did you do next? Did you go back to Bain after you graduated?
2: I didn't actually. And that was a major decision, a major thing that affected my life. Um, After Bain, I went back to business school for the second year and I felt lost. It was the first time that I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore because I was so sure I was going to be minister of finance in Jamaica in college. And then I decided to go to business school because my mentor, the author of Freakonomic, Steve, he told me I had too much personality to be an academic. I need to be in business. I need to be a leader and not sit behind a desk for years. So that's how I ended up in business school. And then after Bain, um, I realized that I needed purpose and passion and a mission that had to do with people um, and not just a prestigious job. It was an amazing job. I learned so much there, but I felt very empty and I needed to be fulfilled in whatever I did after that. So that was the big shift that happened. And me not going back to Bain meant that I didn't have a visa anymore and that I had to go back to Jamaica again right after the... There was a big Tivoli incursion that happened around that time. Um, It was a tumultuous period in Jamaica. It was a financial crisis in the U.S. So there were no other jobs outside of consulting and investment banking. And so I went back to Jamaica and I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt very lost.
3: You know, I really value you taking the time to share this journey with us because I can relate as someone who went back into that second year of business school, very lost, having had a summer that wasn't what I expected. You know, I think you would love this and your plans are set. Boom. I know what I'm doing. And to have that change, you know, what an identity crisis And definitely to have to come back to to home where they're like, wait a second, I thought you were about to rule the U.S. (laughs) 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 What are you doing back here?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's a real kind of it shakes your confidence. um, A lot of the questions that I ask in the first three years actually, after I moved back to Jamaica was, why couldn't I just do it? You know, So many people put those feelings inside aside, the need for purpose and fulfillment. A lot of people can just put that aside and plow through and do the job that they need to do ahead of them and find purpose in other areas of their life. But I couldn't do it. I physically could not do it. And for me, I had to marry Um, purpose, fulfillment in all areas of my life, in work, at home, everywhere. I need to be an integrated, whole person. Um, And so finding something, finding a job, finding a career that allows you to be that was difficult.
3: And there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, as we navigate through those kind of feelings, we often feel like it's wrong to want something that is more than just straightforward, no purpose, no larger, deeper mission. And it's the opposite. It's, it's normal to want that. That's what those are part of our crucial needs as humans.
2: Absolutely. And I think we're getting that now. You know, now the discourse has changed a lot from 10 years ago. But 10 years ago, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Right,
3: right. So as you were navigating now this post MBA life back in Jamaica, what were some of the ways you were able to get back on a path that was
2: fulfilling for you? I tried a bunch of jobs and left them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're in my diary right now. <laughs> I had three jobs in three years. Um, I, And I made a commitment to myself, you know, I moved back because I needed to feel good on the inside in my work. And so if I didn't feel innately that this was the right thing, I didn't try to stick it out for a super long period of time. Um, If I couldn't do it in New York, I was going to give myself the freedom to do it in Jamaica, to, to find the right Thing for me in Jamaica, so I worked at in corporate strategy at a local conglomerate that had a good brand here in Jamaica, and then I tried a smaller private equity firm um, run by two Jamaicans who had had an amazing success story. I had an exit of two hundred million dollars, and they became millionaires and were looking to do it again. So I worked with them for a bit. But the world of finance and corporate, um, it just wasn't doing it for me. And at one point, I just felt like maybe I don't like working at all. (laughs) (laughs) We were at that moment.
3: (laughs) This thing is not for me. (laughs) Yeah,
2: just work in general is not my thing. (laughs) And right at that moment, um, I just serendipity, uh, the brands center landed in my inbox And uh, yeah, the rest is history.
3: All right. Well, okay. well, we don't know this history. So (laughs) (laughs) give us a peek into the life now. When you started with the Branson Center, what was your mission? And I know your role has evolved now to CEO. So tell us a Mm -hmm. little bit about that journey and what your current role entails.
2: Right. So when the ad for um, job openings at the Branson Center kind of landed in my inbox, the way it happened was... I was friends with another Harvard alum, and she was leading the Branson Center at the time. And she sent out an email blast to her network with openings for part-time positions, three days a week, training entrepreneurs in business principles. And I thought at the time I was... You know, I just left my previous job. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking about writing a book and moving away, going back to Spain, working as a waitress and just writing and being a travel blogger or something. (laughs) That was my plan. And then this um, job ad and it landed in my inbox. So I said, great, I can do this for like six months and save up money for my ticket back to Europe and Um, live out my dream of being a writer and forget this whole business thing after that. So I got the job. And when I started, it was really just to train budding entrepreneurs, startups primarily, in how to structure their businesses to attract external investment. Um, So that was the mission at the time. And I loved it because I was interacting with 20 entrepreneurs every week I mentored them I coached them I trained them and they gave me so much inspiration because they were up against it in this in the economy in Jamaica the Jamaican economy has grown on average 0.8% per year for the last 20 years so it's a slow growth economy and yet people are starting businesses and really trying to make it. And that was just so inspiring to me and gave me the sense of purpose and fulfillment that I was looking for this whole time and gave me a mission to help these guys achieve their dreams and in so doing, hire more people, create more jobs and change the Jamaican economy, coming back full circle to wanting to change the Jamaican economy. Um, So that was my mission at the time. And I got a lot out of doing that for about three years. I think I was in that role. And when did you become CEO? So I became CEO in January 2017. Congrats. Um, Thank you. So a year and a half ago, uh, I joined the center in 2013. So about, yeah, four years after I joined the center, I became CEO and I became CEO at a time where, as a nonprofit, we were dependent, our entire existence, on grant funding from our major donor, which is the Virgin Foundation. And at the time that I became CEO, which is six years into the center's existence, the push for us to become become self sustaining became very strong, um, and so we had to figure out how to continue the work that we we're doing, but insert an element of um, revenue generation, income generation, self-sustainability for the long term. And so that need and that drive shifted our entire approach in Jamaica over the last year and a half, um, which is where we are today. Uh, we've changed our strategy quite a bit. We're targeting now scale-ups and supporting scale-ups. Um, when we started, we were supporting startups. And so we have gone through a lot of changes since I took over as CEO. Can you break
3: down the difference between scale-ups and startups?
2: Well, for us, a startup is at year, let's say, zero to two of their um existence, so they're maybe they're not making any revenues, maybe they're making a little bit of revenues um and I think for that that's below the let's say the hundred thousand dollar mark u s dollar annual revenue mark, so if you're making below a hundred thousand u s dollars in annual revenue, you just started up um you have a different kind of needs than an entrepreneur who is now in the rhythm, in the momentum of making money, getting money in, but needing to structure things better and needing now external funding perhaps to grow even further. So we made that shift to go from the startup phase into that scale-up entrepreneur. Okay.
3: Got it. Got it. And What are some of the key differences that, you know, having gone and spent significant time in the U.S. and now being back in the Caribbean? What are some of the key differences you notice in entrepreneurship, the approach to entrepreneurship in Jamaica versus in the U.S.? For example, whether it's resources, um, if
2: people are more scrappy, what, what would you say? Well, the whole ecosystem has changed a lot, the entrepreneur support ecosystem. When I came back to Jamaica, there was no venture capital industry to speak of. Um, We were, the Branson Center was one of a handful of organizations supporting entrepreneurs. And the reason for that... um, was just the structure of our economy. Uh, Capital was tied up in government bonds, which had a very high interest rate at the time. And there was very little capital available to support startups and entrepreneurs. Uh, It's changed a lot in the past. When did I move back? 2010. So the past eight years has seen this complete shift or interest rates in the economy came down from over 20% to now 7%. And that has triggered an outflow of capital from government into the private sector, into entrepreneurship. And so with that, all these structures have now sprung up to support entrepreneurs to access that capital. There are more accelerators. There are angel groups now. Uh, We didn't have that before 2014, there were no angel groups in Jamaica before 2014. Now we're seeing venture capital come to the table. The Development Bank of Jamaica has focused heavily on this space now. Um, And so the whole structure now is capital running after entrepreneurs, whereas when we just came back, entrepreneurs were chasing capital. So that's a major shift
3: that happened. Yes. That is amazing. I love hearing that and knowing what's going on. I mean, I had a, a little bit of peek into it with some of the initiatives that I've read about, but this is incredible. Small island to be doing all this. Hey guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, Side Hustlers. If you have already started your business or are getting ready to, you probably know that small business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are totally fun, but if we're being honest, some of them like filing taxes and running payroll, for example, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and expert HR support all in one place. Gusto even automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way we work as modern small businesses. But Gusto is. So let them handle one of your many hats because you have better things to do. Side Hustle Pro listeners get three free months when they run their first payroll. So try a demo and see for yourself at Gusto.com slash SHP. That's Gusto.com slash SHP. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp all through Skillshare. And now Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. Now, I understand that you are a big proponent of having a side hustle and encourage <laughs> your team to do the same. Can you tell us more about that, your side hustle and why you view it as something that's valuable to have?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, right now, is the time to be an entrepreneur in the Caribbean and particularly in Jamaica. Um, there's so much capital available now that it just, that what's missing is enough entrepreneurs accessing that capital. So that's a space the Branson Center plays in and as individuals on the team as well, you know, we have to encourage our team to be entrepreneurial, in order to engage well with the entrepreneurs. So I, of course, believe that our team should bring their whole selves to the table. We are all multi-passionate as human beings. We have so many different interests. And if we try to just slog away at one thing, nine to five for 40 years, that's never tapping into our full potential um, for our existence on this earth while we're here. So my team has so many different interests and normally in a company, you have to hide them. But we are a center of entrepreneurship. So don't hide it, bring it to the table. Work on your passion, work on your side hustle. As long as it doesn't conflict and as long as you still get your work done, we applaud it and embrace it because we are creating entrepreneurs on our team, supporting entrepreneurs in our work and bringing your 100% whole self to the table when you show up here every day.
3: I love that. I you know, absolutely agree with that. And I think that's one of the reasons we struggle so much as we go through life and ascend in our careers because we're trying to stifle all of our other passions and only focus on one lane. And it's also not smart, you know, as industries go under to never, ever nurture any other talent or skill that we have.
2: Absolutely. And then the team just becomes more passionate and more engaged at work as well because they know they don't have to hide the things that they're interested in outside of work. Um, And when you're thinking about other problems or other ideas or other passions, you free up your brain from getting too bogged down in a problem that you're having at work. And that's when the solution appears. When you kind of turn your mind off or turn your mind away from the problem and onto something else, the solution comes in when you give your mind a break. So, by cultivating this interest in all the different passions that you have, we get a lot more from the team actually at work. That
3: makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think it really is nice when it's coming from the top down to show that human side of the company and to not just think that, okay, this is my job, I can't share anything, but to have your leader showcase that is so impactful and powerful. so shout out to you for doing that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes even more from the top than me. I mean, Virgin has this initiative called 100% Human at Work. And Virgin itself is extremely entrepreneurial. They're our parent company. And they tout this. I mean, they're pioneers in this space. They have unlimited vacation at the Virgin Group. We don't have that at the brand <laughs> the center. <place. laughs> One day, Um, one day. (laughs) uh, Throughout the DNA of our organization, we believe in everyone being their full selves at work.
3: Yeah. That is great. Now, I also understand that you have a quarterly meeting with some of the largest investors. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How does the Branson Center work to continue to give their entrepreneurs access to as much capital as possible?
2: Right. So this year, actually, or beginning late last year, we have a group of local investors that represent the largest sources of institutional capital that's available in Jamaica, that want to see deals prepared by the Branson Center and put in front of them. Scale-ups who are looking for half a million dollars, a million U.S. in investment, which are large figures for our economy actually, coming through the Branson Center and pitching to this room that where these investors come together in this room in one place at the same time to look at entrepreneurs who normally would not have access to them. And it's not the portfolio managers, it is the most senior people in these institutions, the CEOs, the founders, um, the head of business development, they're in the room looking at deals that come through the Brand Center and they show up every single time. And so we have this amazing opportunity to put way more people than ever before in front of capital. We don't just get them in the room, we coach them and prep them on how to engage with our entrepreneurs to not be scary. (laughs) (laughs) And we coach and prep the entrepreneurs on how to present their businesses with the best chance for success. So this is something that we've added in since we've moved to Kingston. Um, before we moved when we were in Montego Bay, we had an angel group there as well, which performed a similar function. But this is a much larger pool of capital that we have access to now, and um, we're looking at for entrepreneurs in the diaspora too can get in front of these guys. So, if there are any Caribbean listeners to your podcast, um, we could. Absolutely, help to put you in front of capital here if there's interest. You
3: know? Yes, there absolutely are listeners. I went to the Caribbean Startup Summit earlier this year. People in Barbados, um, many of those entrepreneurs were listeners and are looking for ways to go from startup to scale up. So um, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing that ecosystem grow. Now, speaking of coaching. What are some of the common missteps that you see entrepreneurs making, side hustlers making, and how can they combat that so they can be as attractive as possible for investors?
2: Sure, the biggest misstep that I see very often amongst entrepreneurs that I come into contact with is trying to be the face, the brain, the operator, everything in the business um, from the get go and being a little bit unwilling to take on somebody on the same level as you are, to partner with somebody. So a lot. one of the things I always say, and that has been very true in my own personal life, um, in my own endeavors in entrepreneurship, is that when you try to do everything for yourself, or you're only interested in hiring someone junior, someone who won't challenge you too much, someone who won't be too competitive with you. Um, Those are some of the fears that we hear a lot from entrepreneurs. But when you take that approach, you really limit the growth of your business. And so I encourage people to take on others who may even be better than you in a lot of different areas so that the weight and the burden of building a business that lasts isn't all on your shoulders. And if you just look at what's happening with Elon Musk right now and everything that's happening with him in the search for his number two, you know that this is true at all levels of entrepreneurship.
3: Indeed. And do you feel like this for you has been a full circle stage of life where you were made aware of these instincts in business school, didn't really pursue them and now are finally able to truly, truly, 100% explore that side of yourself.
2: Definitely. I mean, everything I learned in business school, I am using right now. I read HBR every morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They actually had an article recently about how CEOs spend their time and they followed Hundreds of entrepreneurs tracked every 15 minutes what the what the CEO was doing at any time of day and created this report that has just been extremely eye opening for me. But that's an aside. So (laughs) um, just as a person, uh, it's challenged me so much to grow. I mean, when you're in a leadership position and you have a team of 10 and you have a board of seven and you have partners and stakeholders, who you are on the inside you can't hide you can't hide when you're under the microscope to that extent so you have to align your inner world with your outer reality and do the inner work to ensure that you're able to bring your best self to the table all the time to be there for the team when they need you to answer and hold up under the rigor of a board meeting um and All the tools that I learned in business school about leadership and managing up and managing down and managing sideways, I'm really using now. Everything I learned about investment and bringing investors to the table and term sheets, we're using as we help entrepreneurs access capital. Uh, Everything I learned about how to create a sustainable enterprise and the team is the first step of hiring people who are really good that can free you up to be more strategic and implement the things that need to be implemented. All of that knowledge is being brought to bear in a big way right now.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
3: Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. You know, one of the things I really enjoy about your story and the experience that you're sharing is There are a lot of times when people have entrepreneurial instincts and they don't necessarily need or want to start a company, but it can (laughs) still manifest in different ways. So can you speak to that and the fact that not everyone needs to be not entrepreneurship looks like different things?
2: Absolutely. I the first year of business school, I was definitely in that category of not wanting to start a business, even though I had entrepreneurial instincts and it's changed slowly over time. I kind of maneuvered my way, meandered along the path to where I am now. And I even think beyond where I am now, um, the natural next step for me is to start my own company full blown. But it took me a while to get there. And the tools that I've learned along the way have prepared me to be just a much higher caliber entrepreneur when I do do it full hundred, um, than I would have been if I started and tried 10 years ago, uh, I have a lot more confidence. I know the nitty gritty of operations now because of the jobs that I've had. I know how to do bookkeeping. I know how to do recruiting. I know how to do the full gamut of things that will make you a more successful entrepreneur. So you don't have to stick with one definition at all. And you learn so much along the way that helps you on your path if you eventually do decide to make the leap.
3: Awesome. And I understand you are writing a book or have you written the book? Tell us about this.
2: Oh, my gosh. So this has been in the works since 2012 when I said I didn't like working and I'm just going to be a writer and move to Spain. <laughs> I already want to read it. <laughs> um, and I actually finished it two years ago um, and then my life changed significantly. And I have to add parts that part of it into the book. So, but also what happened was I've gotten to seven rewrites of it. And on the seventh draft, I just lost momentum for it. And I started hating the book and I had to put it away for like a year or two (laughs) before I could even open, just opening the file. I felt physically ill after the seventh revision. So now I'm at the place where I have a lot more to add, I think it will be a better book now i'm writing it again i'm doing 750 to thousand words a day um to bring it up to add in some of the missing pieces and in november i start with my editor who is an amazing editor based in the u.s award-winning guy um, and we're hoping to finish it by the end of this year and publish it early next year Ooh! So I need people to keep me on track so that I can boost momentum.
3: <laughs> I'll be checking in. Like, when's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? <laughs> so, before we transition to the lightning round, tell us what's next for Lysandra. Uh,
2: what's next for me um, is a period of stability. <laughs> We Over the past year and a half, there it's been a whirlwind with a lot of change in my personal life, in my professional life. Who I am now, one and a half years into being CU, is so different from who I was before this job. Um, it's the same in a lot of senses, but different in a lot of ways, too a big difference is I speak my truth a lot more than I used to. Um, I used to suppress or keep things in, uh, and now I speak up a a lot more and I'm more confident in that. Um, So what's next is just entrenching, uh, getting some value from these lessons, keep growing personally. And as I grow personally, I grow more in the role as well. Um, But also thinking about what would happen next after the center. What does someone do after they leave this amazing job, you know? And when I look back at all our team members who have worked with us and left, they've all, about 70% of them have become entrepreneurs. So that's the natural next step. And I'm thinking about, okay, what would I do eventually um, as well? So stability, but also looking ahead.
3: Well, life is such a beautiful thing. And, you know, we're blessed to have this perspective and to be able to make these choices and to be thinking about these things. So I'm excited for you. And it's such a great position to be in, to even Know that, hey, I could leave here and start a company and life won't fall apart. Or if it does, you know, I will still eat. I will still have a roof over my head. So I'm excited for you. And I know you'll be great at whatever you decide. <laughs>
2: Thank you. I mean, I still worry about eating and having a roof over my
3: head. <laughs> you won't eat. I know you will eat. <laughs> so now let's jump into the lightning round. You just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. All righty. Number one. What is a resource that has helped you in your role that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro
2: audience? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is something that has come into my life very recently called the Law of Attraction Planner. And it is a monthly and weekly planner that helps you to set objectives, personal and business objectives for the month. Do what are your actions towards those objectives? And then it has a habit tracker. So if you want to create good habits like meditating every day, which I do, it tracks how many days did you meditate that week? Um, so it has everything in one planner to help you get to that next level in your life. So that would be the first thing that comes to my mind.
3: Ooh, OK, I'll have to look into that and link to it. Number mm-hmm. two. What's been the best business book or live event or podcast episode that you've consumed this year?
2: I can only answer one, (laughs) one thing. Oh gosh, Um, I have to go with a, a podcast that I listened to on Mixergy earlier this year. That was a raw, open interview with Jeff Pulver, who is the founder of Vonage. And he started the interview by reading this poem about a love that he had lost. And so this big founder of a multi-million dollar company who starts his interview with love and the heart and goes on to talk more about that and also more about business. And the reason that I would choose that podcast is the very next day after I listened to that podcast, it was on the radio in my car. The next day, I went to a conference in Kingston, Jamaica, and Jeff Pulver was on the stage. Wow. (laughs) Talk about serendipity, right? Oh my god! So the universe was clearly telling me to go and talk to this guy. So I went to him. I told him how his, po- his poem about love, it really touched me and we need more love and business. And we talked about Reiki healing and universal energy and the wisdom of the universe that we don't tap into because we in the Western world are overly rational. <laughs> when I tell you, it was a transcendental conversation. Transformational, transcendental. Every trans word you can think. Ah.
0: Of. <laughs> I <laughs> um, love
2: I'll have to listen random, to this. Yeah. It was just what an experience that the next day I met him and had this two hour long conversation with him about the universe. So yeah, I have to go with that. Amazing.
3: And that's why I love podcasts. I bet he never expected, even though he was speaking in Jamaica for someone to say, Hey, I just listened to, you know, that episode. No, he
2: didn't expect it at all because he was, he didn't even know it had been published.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number three, who is a black woman entrepreneur who you admire and would want to trade places with for a day and why?
2: Definitely one of my best friends from business school. Her name is Kanisha Grayson and she runs the art of It's an online business that helps people get into business school. And she just hit a million dollars in revenues in Woo-hoo! July. Is she yes. based back in Jamaica now? No, she's in America. Oh, she's okay. from Austin, Texas. oh. So, oh, oh. But <laughs> she's completely location independent. She lives and works wherever she wants to. And her team lives and works wherever they want to. She has a small team. She's glamorous, she's fashionable, she travels all the time, <laughs> she gets her nails done. She has a great day and she has a million dollar business. So I would totally trade places with her for a day and I love her and she's been teaching me some things. right, so. right. I'll have to
3: look her up. Kanisha, look out. I'll
2: keep her on your podcast <laughs> yes. for sure.
3: Okay. Number four, who, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your career?
2: No question. Daily mindfulness meditation. Um, I first found meditation in 2009, that same summer where I had that big identity crisis in between the two years of business school. Um, and you know, sometimes I don't do it. I fall off with my practice. And when I do, I find that I get anxious, or I get detached from my true self and move into unhealthy states. Um, And so when I do practice mindfulness every day, 20 minutes every morning is usually when I do it, I find that I'm able to meet the challenges I have throughout the day, all the decisions I have to make in a day, I can meet them with calm and peace and a solution mindset. And yeah, it's just changed my whole life. So
3: awesome. And is there a particular tool that you, you prefer for using, for, you know, doing your
2: five minute mindfulness? Well, I do 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah. A little bit longer, uh, five minutes. My mind is just starting to settle down. So I find it's not as useful at the five minute mark. I actually don't use a tool. I've tried calm and I've tried headspace, but, I came to mindfulness through a Zen Buddhist teacher, um, Jack Kornfield, who wrote this book, The Wise Heart. And he had a companion book called The Beginner's Guide to Meditation. And I kind of follow his process, um, but it's a silent meditation.
3: Okay. And now, finally, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing a steady paycheck?
2: Well, I will, I can only give advice about what I would do myself. I would find a partner, a co founder, and we would both build something together, um, de risk it in that way, have that support, that additional brain, um, additional funding if you need it. To, and jointly create something rather than doing it all by yourself. I'm a big proponent of teams and being a team player. And if you look at any of my psychometric tests, my people aspect is off the charts. So for me, finding that key partner would be the first thing that I would do. All right.
3: Now, how can people connect with you after this episode?
2: The best way would be on Instagram. Um, I'm at Liss Rickards or on Twitter, same handle um, or my website, www.LissandraRickards.com. I actually just published a blog blog post about going to Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within in July, which we didn't even get to talk about. What? (laughs) Was it awesome? Was it great? It was really an experience. I did the fire walk. I walked over burning coals, Whoa. Um, jumped up and down a lot, danced a lot, <laughs> learned a lot, cried a lot. Uh, yeah, it's definitely an experience. <laughs> oh, man. Sounds like we need to do a part two. <laughs> definitely.
3: <laughs> well, Alessandra, thank you so much for being in the guest chair.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly Side Hustle Diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.